0: It's time for the Ice Cap Podcast, the official podcast of the Jacksonville Iceman. This is your one stop for up to date Iceman and ECHL news. Now, here's your host,
1: Alex Reed.
0: Good day, Iceman family. It is the first edition of the Ice Cap Podcast, a podcast devoted to everything Jacksonville Iceman hockey along with the ECHL and really anything hockey as well. Uh, Alex Reed, uh, glad to be with you here. And uh, thanks for joining us here today. When I mean us, I got to welcome in uh, my broadcast partner and uh, the one and the only Arlie Johnson. Arlie, uh, welcome, man. It's first edition of the podcast. So glad to have you aboard. And I, I couldn't think of anyone better to, to get us kicked off here to talk about this Iceman season.
1: Oh, fired up for the podcast, reader. Great to see you or at least hear from you in this, uh, in this case. Ready to talk Iceman. There's going to be a very short off season, so there's going to be a lot of news that happens in quick bursts over the, just these next few months because, look, I mean, regular season is already starting in October. We're only about four months away. It would typically be an extra month or two.
0: It's unbelievable. You know, I, I always thought that the hockey offseason was short enough, and now it's even shorter. I, I didn't think yeah. that was possible, but it, it is, and, and I can only imagine it's that way for the players who just played a grueling, you know, 72-game season, which Normally wouldn't be a big deal. It's just part of the way it goes. But for this Iceman team and the schedule they had coming down the stretch uh, with all the games crammed in, it, it, was, uh, it was it was a little bit more to, to, to handle there. I mean, these guys were playing seven games in nine days. There was, a I think, a nine and a 12 or something like that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's really tough for these guys they you know, their bodies don't have enough time to recover. It, it was a grind down the stretch and, uh, you know, I was just traveling. I was along for the ride, you know, being there in the, inside the bubble. I know I
1: was exhausted. I can't imagine these guys. Oh, I, I definitely cannot imagine. And you know, same for all the teams. I know everybody had their tough stretches. Maybe they're, they're not so soft stretches, but for this right. particular year, every team in the ECHL had an absolute grind. And like you said, reader, not only from that, but from a mental standpoint, especially because for the Icemen, we were playing, I don't know, the last two to three months, probably as if every game was a playoff game. It's not as if they knew that they were going to be coasting in like a Florida, for instance, really coasted in and I think coasted in a little too soft. Uh, (laughs) But from Jacksonville's perspective, every game was a playoff game, probably from about, you know, later part of February all the way on through.
0: Yeah, it really was. Um, and, and you know, you look at, uh, and let's kind of break it down early when you look at the this season, you know, for, for a season that where the team didn't make the playoffs, it was still a very exciting season. I think a lot of the fans agreed. They, they had some great moments. This was a fun team to watch. Um, and unfortunately it just fell short for the team. I mean, the team was in contention going into the final week of the regular season, but, um, uh, you know, 34 wins, I believe that might be the second most, uh, um, uh, there in, in, in the team's four year history, but, uh, you know, you look at 22 home wins for this club as well. This team was very good on the, on, at home, not so great on the road, you know, 12-20 and 2-2 uh, two and two on the road. But looking at this team, because they got off to that slow start early in the year, you know, they were kind of playing that catch-up game. And, and even though they were playing great uh, coming down the stretch, you're right, it, it, it was uh, – it seemed like that was the position they, they put themselves in, was that pretty much every game was so impactful, so meaningful – that basically they were in the playoffs, uh, you know, they, their, their playoffs started about a month prior
1: because you know, every game was so big. No, no doubt. And you, you touched on it the early part of the year, I think is where ultimately the Icemen missed out on the playoffs. They started the year 2-6-1 and one, and just never could recover. Uh, sometimes it goes that way. I, I will still say, though, through four years of Jacksonville Icemen hockey, despite not making the playoffs this year and making it two seasons ago, this is the best regular season Iceman team that we have had. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't think it's no. close, uh, even with making the playoffs and, to, and pushing Florida in that series to a, to a six-game series. This was the best regular season team that we had, not just in terms of uh, win-loss record, but also in terms of competitiveness. Part of the competitiveness was because of the league itself. We have to keep in mind, almost half the league did not get to play at all this year. And what that did was really up the talent level for every team, almost every team, I would say. And we're we're no exception to that. Our talent level was great. Our opponent's talent level was great. But we were there step for step every single night. Uh, You take those first nine games away. That's your difference. And I remember hearing Smurf say it literally the one time I got to talk to him during the entire (laughs) regular season because of the pandemic. But right at the end, I remember him telling us, we are built for the playoffs. It didn't; wouldn't have mattered if we had finished in first place or in fourth place. This particular roster was built for the playoffs, and I 100% am on board with that comment. He's right. Had we made it through, we would have been dangerous going into the postseason. We had dominated Florida this year. We've won the regular season against them, the only team in the league that did. We were 6-0 and against them at home. Uh, I feel like if we had managed a, a way into fourth place, we would have been in pretty good shape and I would have taken my chances in the second round with whoever we would have ended up with.
0: Yeah, without question. I mean, uh, you know, just looking at the Iceman's record against teams you know, in their division, you know, you mentioned Florida, they were nine and seven against Florida, but again, second half of the season, they dominated the, the, the you know, all those head to head matchups. Uh, Iceman eight, seven, Oh, and one against South Carolina, eight, four, two, and one against Orlando. And they were six, nine, one and two against Greenville. But you know, some of those losses were there was a one-nothing shootout loss. So the Iceman definitely had a shutout, you know, if you want to put it bluntly, but um, and there was a lot of well, one nut there's a one-nothing loss in there, a lot of two-one games. So, you know, that was a, a lot closer to the series uh, between the two teams as well. The Iceman played well against everybody, you know, and especially coming down the stretch that month of March, that team, I think they went on a 16 and four. Run there! It was so much fun. The guys were buzzing. You know, they—I think they—they they realized, wow, you know, they they figured out the system that hey, if we if we're disciplined to our system, we're going to get our chances. And uh, and the team was finding ways to win. And and it was that month of March there that really just got that team thinking playoffs again, and and it turned their season completely around. And one eighty did without question, and it started to turn some heads. I will tell you that right now. There were I can't tell you how many times uh, you know being inside the bubble, I got this you know this access, but you know. Uh, I know that uh, Orlando's coach, Drake Barahowski, he stopped by Smurf's office on the way out to go to the bus and his office is right there along the way in the hallway. And he said, Hey, I don't know how we won this game today. They won like a shootout game. He said, but you guys are really good right now. Like really good. And, you know, and then even compliments from the Everblades, Brad Ralph, you, you know, talked to Smurf and, and, you know, coach Christie there saying the same thing. He's like, Hey, you guys are, you're pretty good. I, you know, the turnaround's been remarkable. So, you know, I think they definitely turned some heads. Nobody wanted to see the Iceman in the first round. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the hardest part for the Iceman was just getting in. You know, had they got in and had that reset, you know, this this, this podcast could have had a different tone to it.
1: Oh, there's no doubt about it. And I I know you and I as broadcast partners, the best tandem in the league. I'll I'll go to my grave with that. But even though we didn't get (laughs) to actually broadcast games together, we would talk on the regular. And you would tell me like that uh, post-game about uh, how – other teams feel about the Icemen right now. The other thing that you touched on a lot was the camaraderie within the locker room and just how tight knit this group was, which is a, uh, you know, without saying too much about previous years, a vast contrast to at least the season prior to this one. I don't want to go into the details or talk names or anything like that, but let's just say that there were chemistry issues last season. And this current season that we just finished up was the entire opposite side of the coin uh the chemistry for this team from everything you told me was as good as you have ever seen you've been around the block for a little while how many years 10 10 plus years uh in the echl Uh, i've I've done 12 years at this level um i mean it's hard to find that kind of chemistry and these guys were playing for each other night in and night out maybe it took about a month or so sometimes it does it, it in the echl to build the team the way you want it to to build and unfortunately, it was just got built maybe a month too late. But once it got set in, we were off and running. And, and similarly, last year, you know, kind of right by uh, by the end of the season. This is the season yeah. prior. We're talking now, uh, some moves were made where they became competitive and, and started getting into a potential playoff hunt in the 2020 shortened season. But this year, it was, it was it gelled pretty quickly, and you could tell every time we would talk, you'd say, "Oh, Arlie, that room was buzzing after that game. You you wouldn't oh. believe." that. In the room after a, after a win like that, and it, that was not an isolated conversation. We had those conversations quite a bit.
0: We did, and, and you know whether it be some big games on the road. Uh, I can recall the one in Florida where the team was behind and had a nice rally. Ended up winning it overtime. The guys were coming off the ice, all jacked up. They had the music going. I mean, they, it was a lot of fun. You know, and it makes the bus rides fun there. You know, these guys were just enjoying it, and they were feeling it. You know, they were like, "Hey, they knew they were the hottest team in the league at that point." Um, again, a 16 and four run. That's pretty good. And then, of course, you look at, um, you know, they had two five game win streaks in there. Couldn't quite get to that sixth one in either one and either case, yeah. uh, to set the, the club record. But, um, you know, this this team, uh, they, they were definitely fun. And, and you know, we want to talk about exciting. You know, This team was 11, three, one and four in overtime. 11 wins kept coming in overtime. How exciting is that? I think there was three home games in a row they won in overtime. I mean, if you want entertainment value, this team brought it uh, this season in that regard. They had the, the flair for dramatics, without question.
1: Oh, then there was so much fun to do those. I know a few of them were on the road, but man, we had a ton of those at home. For you, the fans yeah. that are listening to this podcast, I got to think that might be sort of an underlying theme for what are you going to remember most about the 2021 season? all those overtimes and the success that we had six OT wins in a row at one point in time. In fact, we ended with six in a row because I think at one point we were maybe four and three or five and three in overtime and then just went on an absolute tear. Uh, I didn't like so much when we made it to shootouts, but we almost never did make it to shootout. We had one shootout victory all season long uh, and that was all, but the overtime games just time and again and again, when we needed them, we got them. Uh, and the fans got more than their money's worth, I think, out of their tickets this year. Uh, again, so much excitement, just got to find a way to get over the hump next year. And let's hope that uh, we have a pretty good core from this current yeah. crew that moves into the 21, 22 season. And I think that we will. Yeah. You know, we'll get into that. We'll talk about that core here in just a second, just another note here Arlie. I
0: was just looking at it, um, you know, with the, with the Iceman, the Iceman were, number one in the league in shots allowed this year, 2019 shots total. That was a league low. Well, all right. They're <laughs> second, best, second best in the league, Fort Wayne, uh who played sure. best games. You know, they, they had the better number. But of teams that started the season... You know, I think that was a remarkable number for them. It took stress off the goaltenders, but even the goaltenders, uh, the Iceman had this year, Charles Williams and and, and Kyle Kaiser and even Eamon McAdam, uh, you know, earlier in the year. I mean, you know, it took a little bit of stress off them. And then, you know, when there was a breakdown or there was those opportunities or those moments where uh, teams were able to get through and get some chances, you know, the goalies were there to, to back it up. But you know, defensively, this team um, really, really stepped up, I thought. I thought that was always kind of an area of concern, you know, maybe obviously early in the year, you know they were giving up a lot of goals, but once they figured out the system, but you know it's a pretty good number there. You look at shots and that's chances against two. It's a uh, um, a pretty good number here. This club uh, gave itself uh, a pretty good position to win on most nights, and even a lot of their losses this year. You know, we talked about the the tight series with Greenville, but a lot of Jacksonville's losses down the stretch were were very tight games. You know, one or two goals, or maybe a two goal uh, deficit with an empty netter or something like that. But right. they are pretty much in every hockey game.
1: No, they were and To me, that shots against uh, being so good, that tells me that the players were buying into the system. Uh, Maybe it took a little bit, but because from a defensive standpoint, you have to be structured. If you lose your structure, you're going to allow chances. And if they're allowing the fewest shots on goal, maybe not quality chances, just shots in general, that tells me that they were disciplined. That tells me that they were doing the right thing. No team is going to be Fully disciplined every period of every single game. And certainly the Iceman had their lapses like everybody else. But I think they were more consistent from a defensive standpoint than most every other team in the league uh, to be able to allow that kind of number. And I'll also add to the goaltending to it also. Charles Williams really stepped up when we needed him to. I remember when he came to the team, this was just as Kyle Kaiser was called up to Providence, wow. Providence Bruins of the American Hockey League. And as soon as that happened, it was like uh, a punch to the stomach from everybody. Like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? We lost McAdam. Now we've lost Kaiser. We are bringing in Charlie Williams and you know, we don't know anything about this guy. And we thought that we were in trouble, but I'll tell you what, Willie stepped up in a big way, right? When we needed him to, he uh, took the reins that you would actually alluded to that one, nothing shootout loss to Greenville. I think that was, that was one of the first times just after Kaiser had gotten called up and yeah. he uh, and he absolutely stonewalled that club. It was a shame that the offense couldn't provide anything for him because he deserved a better faith that game. But yeah, right when we needed him to, he was there, and we didn't really have a one-two punch once Kaiser was up. It was really just one and one. It was like right hand, right hand, right hand, Williams, Williams, Williams. There was a point where he started 26 of 30 games for the <laughs> NFL. And in this particular season, when you were talking about seven games in nine days or 10 games in 14 days, those stretches would happen and it'd be Williams night after night after night. I'm sure he was exhausted and yet still he was able to put forth that kind of performance. I tip of the cap to Willie for, for how he did in a very adverse situation.
0: Yeah, and, you know, he's a likable guy in the room. We talked about the that that, you know, that the relationship that all the guys had, and they wanted to play hard for him because they just knew was, there was just nice. He was laying it out on the line for him. And, uh, again, he was the goaltender during that great stretch of run there in March. He ended up winning goaltender of the month, deservedly so there, for the month of March, uh, you know, for the ECHL. So, um, without question, uh, tip of the cap there to, to, to Willie and uh, to his season here this year. And of course, you know, let's get back to that. You know, let's talk about the core that the Icemen, you know, have coming back or potentially have coming back there. No one's been signed yet. You know, that, that's, that period hasn't started yet, but the Icemen do own rights to players. And, you know, obviously there's a structure and there's a a place here trying to build off what, what, you know, the end of the season, the second half of the season, you know, what do the Icemen have? Well, we just talked about Williams. The Icemen do have the rights to Charles Williams. He wasn't on a you know an AHL or NHL deal, so they'll be able to uh, have a chance to try to get you know Charles Williams back in the fold. But there's a pretty good group here, Arlie, that uh, of players that the IceMen have uh, the contract rights to, and as long as the players and you know I say the ECHL, as long players don't go to the dreaded Europe and get lured by uh, by going over to Europe, but uh, you know the IceMen do have uh, the rights to some players to to keep that core intact.
1: They do, especially up front. Uh, which I think bodes well for this team. They're going to add a little bit of chemistry, hopefully a little more offensive flair. You know, we can go through guys like Aaron Nazarian. What a trade that was last <laughs> offseason. Uh, you know, for, for a lot of the fans out there, they don't necessarily know the, the how acquired situation. Uh, if you don't recall, and sometimes it's just a press release and then it's gone, especially in the offseason, Aaron Nazarian was acquired for Chase Lang straight up. Uh, Adirondack for, you know, to Jacksonville, one-for-one trade. Chase Lang had a pretty good year two seasons ago for the Icemen, but maybe wasn't necessarily the right fit for this particular team. You make that one-for-one trade, Aaron Azarian comes in and becomes your leading scorer, and just the second year in the league as well, and in a situation where you only have half the teams playing and your talent level is ramped up. I would expect the second-year guys this past year to regress because the talent level would have been so much better, but not in Aaron's case. He stepped up his game and then some. Uh, so, yeah. that was an absolute fleecing of a trade to me to get Aaron Azarian. And, he is certainly Jacksonville's rights. Then you're going to look at other guys like and Aaron. Real Quick, Carly.
0: Real quick, uh, just a note oh, yeah. on as we say, just a note on Aaron Azarian. You know, you talk about you know the, the work ethic and how hard he was, and obviously being the leading scorer on the team this year, making some big plays. Coach Christie called him. Uh, uh, a little water bug. He goes. He just quick and he scurries and and he gets it done. He gets through. But um, that that was his kind of nickname there. I wanted to share that because I always thought that was a perfect representation. I don't think well, maybe maybe Era has a, a different view of that. I don't want to be called a bug, but uh, you know <laughs> called a little water bug there. That uh, and he was because he, he was quick and uh, tenacious at times and, and got through and made the big plays. But
1: uh, no 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 doubt and a total fan favorite as well. On top of that, I mean if you're yeah. if you're just looking at numbers. The trade was a steal, but then you add the flair and he just seemed to connect with the fans. And I think it was because of the work ethic. You know, the fans just seem to love those smaller guys that work there. You know what off find oh, wow. a way to win puck battles. I mean, he's I think he's listed as five nine. I'm not so certain that that's accurate. And yet still, <laughs> he'll come away from a board battle and he's the one with the puck on his stick. That's not easy to do. That should belong to a six one defenseman. Instead, it belongs to a 5 9 ish forward. And the next thing you know, he's going to net or he's finding a guy, at, you know, kicking it up high to the blue line or he finds a guy in the slot. Uh, if you can't have mad respect for a guy like that, and if that guy can't become one of the, uh, the fan favorites, then I don't know what it is on top of all of it. So he, to me, is the headline of the group of people that the Icemen still have rights to. There's no doubt about it in my mind
0: without no question and of course uh, you, you look at other players that uh at the Iceman have um you know you know under contract well, I should say, uh, the rights to to try to sign going through that process here but um uh, you know we talk about nick Saracino, a guy that uh, you know an, what a great waiver wire pickup that was early in the year um and uh you know it, it's kind of bizarre that uh, a player of that caliber was released but he was and the iceman took full advantage of it um and nick Saracino, you know a great year for him and uh he's a guy that the iceland i think would like to try to, to have those conversations with to be able to bring back a guy that's a little bit older you know getting a little older in his career he's not old i don't want to say that but right from games played standpoint you know he's getting up there and you know he'll, he'll be you know one of those guys that i think the iceland loved that you know to, be able to have a, to bring back into the fold but um he was another big piece uh, to the puzzle
1: here this year Arlie. And important in how the season went for him in terms of this upcoming year, because you said he's an older, older or oldish guy, but not a veteran player. And and again, to fill in, I like trying to fill in the fans on how certain inner workings of Mm -hmm. of roster buildings go for, for any team in this league. You're allowed to have four players on your roster going into the year that have played 260 games or more going into the second half of this season. We thought that, Nick Saraceno was going to be one of those veteran players. Then he got hurt and he missed a handful of games. And that handful of games is all that it took for him to now not be qualified as a veteran player this upcoming year. That is huge in terms of roster building for the Iceman. You only get four of them. We thought Nick was going to have to be one of them. And then you really have to make a decision. Do we want to use a, one of only four spots on him yeah. or not? Yeah. Now we don't have to worry about that at all. It's a shame that he got hurt. We certainly could have used him. And, I, and I, that's obviously unfortunate, but sometimes there are coaches out there that know how many games played that somebody has had. And they'll, they'll tell a guy, it didn't happen this year, but they, they can tell a guy, look, we need you to miss a couple games along the way because we want to have your rights as a non-veteran player next year the injury forced it on Nick Saraceno, but I think that's really going to benefit Jacksonville next year that he's not going to be a veteran player. We definitely own his rights and, uh, and hopefully everything works out with him and then we can try and target a few other veterans along the way, whoever they may be.
0: Yeah. And and, then the veterans have that flexibility, really. Um, I I think there is a route for teams to protect a veteran, but it's just kind of one of those things you don't do. A guy's earned the right to be the veteran. He's played the games. You should be able to choose where he goes to play. And so teams don't, usually take that extended route not to mention it's it's just tough to do it's it's, it's kind of pointless to do because if you protect a veteran then that's using up a, a qualified offer spot that you can give to somebody else you know let the veterans go out and and, and decide where they want to go and that's usually kind of like the uh the kind of thing that a lot of coaches and gms in the league here know to do and um but yeah you're absolutely right it's it's big here saraceno certainly in the fold other players you know christopher brown um, you know, what a 200-foot player he, he could be, you know, going back and forth. And he, he got – when he gets hot, he gets hot. I know he had a – he got a little streak of goals there. Um, you know, they're coming down the stretch during that run. Abit uh boy, he had a stretch there where he had a, a point, done, I think like 18 of 20 games or something like that. Uh, he had a really good month of April and late March there. Um, he's a guy that I think yeah, next year could really bring it up a little bit uh, as well. Uh, especially with the you know how how the rosters are, could play out next year, and um, those are just a couple of the other names. Um, you know, younger guys, Jacob Friend uh, on the back end. Uh, you know, you know has uh, uh, that physical nature. I think he became a fan favorite pretty quick. Did um, yeah. on the back end. I'm not trying to gobble up all the names here, Arlie, but th- there is a core. There, there is some guys that, uh, that that the Iceman have an opportunity to try to try to bring back, and um, you know, it's and if they can do that, I think it's going to help this team. Transition into next year better. You know, I think part of the problem was the Iceman didn't have a lot of time to practice in training camp last year, um just because of circumstances with ice availability, where other teams had a couple weeks. The Iceman only had like four days of practice, while other teams had preseason games and two weeks of training camp. Not to mention, you know, the Iceman go in. Uh, some of the other rosters, like Florida's roster, was loaded in the beginning of last season. And they had to play them, I think, six, uh, seven times in the first 10 games. So it, it just took a while for this team to figure it out and get that system down. But if you bring back the core that's familiar with it, they know how to play the system. They go into the season, I think uh, a little bit more settled and and really uh, more confident in
1: what they do. And that's going to be a lot different than last year, last year's training camp. I think maybe three or four guys, there was not much of a core to come back uh, last uh, October for training camp. I expect it to probably be double that or more. I am guessing, Just looking at our roster from this year, I'm guessing we end up retaining probably eight to ten of them, which might not sound like a lot, but at the ECHL level, I think that's a pretty high number for the most part, as opposed to the three or four that we had. And I think only one or two ended up sticking around by the end of the year. Wacy Rabbit was still there. Brendan Warren was still there. And Brendan, by the way, I think might be another core player for next year. Another one. Yeah. We're talking about it, but that's going to really change things if we can find a way to retain nine or ten of these guys for next year. Not just any guys, but guys that you really, really want. Guys that could be impactful. Not necessarily uh, somebody who's going to be like your 21st or 22nd guy on the reserve list that's not even dressed. You know, These are going to be guys that are going to be your top line guys to go along with a mix of veterans. And th- this roster is shaping up well already for next year. As long as you can end up taking care of business. Make sure that a lot of these guys don't end up overseas. That's, I think, what, what might be yeah. the most difficult situation for head coach Jason Christie. It's for the guys that, that, that are under contract, convince them, look, this is the place to be. You're in got Florida, it. you're in winter wintertime. There's no state tax. Don't bother going overseas. Look <laughs> what we got here. We, yeah. we have the ability to make a big run and, and hopefully these guys will will buy into that and everything fits under the cap when it's all said and done. You yeah. know, those things, you're going to be in great shape, I think.
0: Yeah. And then of course a uh, chance to be an all-star automatically by joining our oh, third yeah. game. So Um, You know, a little bit uh, of of an extra added bonus there. And, you know, then you look, though, the way the season was, Arlie, with all the teams that didn't play. There were some players whose rights belonged to other teams. So players such as Trevor Hamilton and Michael Kim, anchors on that back end. Those are players that, unfortunately, the Icemen don't own the rights to at the end of the season because, um, you know, as part of the deal with some of the teams that had to opt out this year. Okay, yes, those players can become free agents for this year and go play wherever but we still retain their rights. Uh, you know, when the season's over, it's only a fair way to do it. So Hamilton, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think he's going to be, uh, you know, really missed on the back end, but I mean, he does, he has property of the Toledo walleye, Michael Kim property of um, the main Mariners and then uh, Mike Spatula, another guy as well. You know, he, he came over from Adirondack. And so, uh, and and recently we saw that uh, he is signed uh, overseas. So, um, you know, that, that's that's kind of the bad part about how the season played out. It was great having these guys this year. But there are some guys that the they just don't have the
1: rights to uh, based on how the, the rules were laid out for teams that opted out for due to COVID-19. And the two guys, that you, two of the guys you mentioned there, Trevor Hamilton and Michael Kim. I mean, that's your number one pairing. They were a yeah. shutdown pair and the Icemen are not going to have either one of them. It was, it was a privilege watching them play. Honestly, I thought Hammer was just spectacular year, you know, night in, night out. I remember the very first game he suited up, first period, (laughs) he just laid someone out, and that was a theme all year long. I've never seen such a clean, hard hitter in my life without almost ever going to the box for the way he was hitting players. No, I don't remember any boarding penalties. I don't remember any elbow penalties, anything like that. But he was just constantly flattening people, whether it was open ice, whether it's into the glass, didn't matter. Uh, It was always clean and hard. He knew exactly how to do it, and I thought he's one of the best defensemen that the Icemen have had in four years, truthfully. And if you want to talk about team needs for this year, and I know that the fans are going to want to do that, let's talk about the good things. Yeah, but let's talk about team needs. It's a it's a number one defenseman right now, maybe a number one two. I would say with Michael. Yeah. It might be your second biggest priority is a number two defenseman. And that's where Smurf is going to have his work cut out for him. It's hard to find guys like that, uh, especially if they belong to other teams. Maybe you can find a way to get a rookie. Maybe it has to come via the trade route. That's certainly a, an option, especially in the offseason. Maybe there's a guy that we do have rights to, but maybe we already know that they're not going to necessarily uh, want to come here, but maybe they want to go somewhere else. You can use these guys as, uh, as trade pieces. And if you already know that's what a major uh, shortage in your roster is right now, you've got to find a way to shore it up a couple times over in this case. And that's my biggest worry. Now, am I worried that he'll take care of it? No, he'll find a way to take care of it. And uh, you know, let's just see who these players are when it's all said and done. Maybe it's a veteran defenseman. I would love to see an offensive veteran number one defenseman come here. Uh, and if it happens to be a rookie or it happens to be via the trade, somebody just met, you know, comes available somehow, maybe an American league contracted player that uh, becomes available. That's where you're going to start looking for things. And again, with a short off season, uh, all you fans out there, be, uh, be aware, keep your eye on that, uh, on that transaction wire day after day, because this roster is going to come together pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. And it's going to have to, as you said, I mean, here we are, we're in late June already and, uh, um, the process to get these rosters going. And it's not like we're going to start in December again. I mean, we're, season's going to start in October. Training camp's going to be opening up you know, either end of the September or at the very first of October as well. So uh, we'll get right back into the swing of things. And uh, the roster's going to have to come together pretty quickly here. And uh, Coach Christie's going to have his uh, work cut out for him. So, But, uh, you know, that's again, that's, that's the way it is for all these teams this year. Um, I mean, again, the Icemen are the only team that are going to have this problem. All the other teams, we have rights to players and Everything's going to get shifted around here, and, and and you know you just don't know how it's going to play out. I think it's going to be probably one of the more interesting off seasons because of all that, um, and see what uh, and how players are doing it. I mean, we we saw a couple players uh, already sign overseas. Michael Hunterbrinker for the Florida Everblades. You know, he signed overseas while they were still in the playoffs. So you might say, well, that's a little weird. This is a weird year. Uh, again, <laughs> the, the, the European season start they start in August sometimes. So they got to sign. If you're planning on going overseas and with the way COVID has pushed everything back, you know, normally the ECHL season would have been done two or three weeks ago in a normal year. And if you're still playing and you, you know, you're going to go overseas, you got to have to sign it. Um, you know, he finished it out there with Florida in the playoffs. And some people may say, well, that's kind of messed up. You're in the playoffs and signing to the teams, but it's really the nature of how the game of hockey worked out this year. And the timing of all these leagues due to the fact that the ECHL season started late. So.
1: Hey, uh, and for the Iceman, They did lose one key player to Europe. Uh, Hopefully it's the only one. Uh, And I'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention it. Pascal Ake has uh, signed overseas. So for those who are looking forward to him coming back, and I would have been because I thought he was a phenomenal player for this club. But unfortunately, that's just the way that uh, that these situations go. He got the opportunity in Europe. He went there and, and all our best to him. And he put forth a tremendous season for the Iceman this year.
0: Without question. And, you know, and and thing with him too, you know, listen, we hope it works out. Sometimes players go over there. It's not what they thought it was, but they didn't like it. Um, The Iceman still have his rights. So um, that's one thing, you know, so if you were to come back, I want to come back and play in the ECHL, he would have to come to Jacksonville. So again, not saying we hope that happens. We want him to have the best season. and We want him to be happy. He certainly earned it. Um, It was a huge help. What another pick, great pickup that was this year. And you know, just for those fans listening, you know, why do all these players go to Europe? And I think players hit a point in their career where, hey, there's a lot of money to be thrown out in Europe. Europe doesn't have some of these salary caps that, that, that the ECHL is bound to. There's a lot more, more perks and benefits that are recruiting violations, maybe, in this league, but it's <laughs> wide open. So there's great opportunities over there for players. There's a lot of leagues over in Europe, and, and teams are throwing money over there. But with that being said, you've got to produce over there. If teams are going to pay you well. You got to be able to produce, and you know, and and I'm I'm thinking Pascal will be a guy that can certainly do that, but um, because he brings so much uh, other intangibles to the table, but um, offensively and from a physical side. But that's that's kind of why that's why players, if you're wondering why does somebody go to Europe, it's just they've hit that point where hey, I can still play at a competitive level, I can make a lot more money doing it, and um, that that's really one of the big reasons why guys go over there, and um, you know, so it's not anything that. Oh, they weren't happy with this league or happy with the team or happy being here. It's, Hey, it's go with the money, man. You got to go with the money. Sometimes
1: but the nature, of the, You cannot be upset about anybody that chooses that route. It's yeah. just not to better their career. Sure. Yes. And and if you asked a uh, Smurf head coach, Jason Christie, he'd tell you the exact same thing. Yeah, it's a shame, but I, I want to wish them the best. And he would wish Paskey all the best as he would for anybody that's gone overseas. You know, Wacy has gone overseas uh, in the past. Cody Fowley did Garrett hunt did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all these opportunities from these players if they have that chance it's hard to to blame them for it, shake their hand, wish them well, thank them for their service for this particular club while they had it and like you said, we do still have his rights so you know, so he may come back here, maybe if we realize that, uh, that he can't come back we, we still have his rights, we can trade his rights maybe and get a chip that way too if we know that he's going to stay there, there might not be any harm in that also, so it is still a, a chip that Smurf can use somehow or some way, either to lure him back if things don't go well, or maybe to get somebody else uh, during the course of the year. Who's to say?
0: So it's going to be an interesting few months without question. And uh, of course, our Ice Cap podcast here will keep you caught up on all the news and uh, rumblings uh, throughout the summer and then uh, heading into the season. And Arlie, you know, we're almost out of time here, but uh, really just want to touch up real quick on, on the ECHL playoffs and Boy, what a! Uh, when you look at how it's played out right now, the, the top two seeds are in the in the Eastern Conference are out um, in 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 Florida and um, in Greenville. I might be a little surprised more about Greenville. I, I, I'm not that surprised about Florida. And, and not taking anything away from that team, I mean Florida. If they would have won, I would say, oh well, that's Florida. You know, they're, they they just they're founded on success. But um, there's no questioning, and I think uh, Florida would uh, admit they were not a great team coming down the stretch. They weren't playing their best hockey going in uh, to the playoffs and, and South Carolina took advantage of that. And, and honestly, I don't, there's, I think whoever they would have faced in the first round would have given Florida just about everything.
1: Yeah. I, I feel like almost, and not just the four teams that made it, if Jacksonville was in it, we would have given, I, I would have predicted us to win. Uh had Orlando yeah. made it. I think I would have predicted Orlando to win. Yeah, uh, It's just the way that Florida was playing at the end of the year. It, you know, your overall record is great. You were in first place. Congratulations. But that's not the entire story in any hockey playoff, NHL on down. It does yeah. not matter where you finish. It is how you're doing going in. And the two hottest teams in the league, uh, certainly from the Eastern Conference, I guess i give Allen uh, a nod in the Western Conference for how hot they were at the end. But it was South Carolina and it was Greenville as the two hottest teams in the Eastern Conference when it was all said and done. South Carolina finished the year on a six-game win streak. Uh, Greenville finished the year on a five-game point streak. I think it was 4-0-1, something like that. Sometimes five or six games is all that you need to feel like you are invincible going into the playoffs. And they won and hit their streak at exactly the right time. The Icemen had their streak. I think they just peaked a little early, Reader, when it came down to it. We peaked to a point where we got right in the playoff hunt where we were in fourth place and had a, a piece of the playoffs with about a dozen or so games to go. But the fact of the matter is those final dozen games, South Carolina was just better than us. And you have to you have to give them the, a tap for that because they were the ones who played lights out when it really, really mattered. We played lights out to get us right back into the thick of it. We just couldn't continue it all all the way through until the end of the regular season. And the Stingrays did. So hats off.
0: Yeah, they're on their way to the Kelly Cup finals uh, and looking for their their fourth championship uh in team history well Arlie that's about all we got that's all the time we got for again I feel like we could just do this for hours and uh but then you know well I know we could too long but uh that's just the way it is man you know that's the way but you and I get together we just start talking and talking but um you know but uh, I do want to thank you for jumping on here I know you're going to be back on this podcast here you know but we're excited about the podcast here just to keep fans informed here as there's a lot of exciting things going on with the uh iceman organization uh just a quick note this sunday uh june 27th 3 to 7 p.m we got the equipment sale uh that's gonna be taking place at uh jack's ice and uh, sportsplex there at the stop emerson soon to be named the iceman igloo coming up a little bit later on. oh
1: that's right well, we might have a podcast just on that alone we're something.
0: gonna we got a lot going on man we got a lot going on so uh there's there's a lot to talk about and obviously we i think we kind of touched up on uh what an interesting summer what an interesting summer it's going to be with those types of things going on for the organization but also um, you know, looking at the, the roster moves and, and how the roster is going to shape up. Uh, you know, I look forward to chatting with you about that here on this podcast down the road.
1: Yeah, I can't wait, Rio. This has been a ton of fun. We'll definitely do this again. Uh, I know we're still seeing each other virtually for the time being, but I can't wait till that changes. If there's one thing that I would take back from this year, it's uh, being able to, you know, want to get the interaction back uh, in the locker room with you up in the booth. I mean, the two of us uh, up yep. top for the games is, uh, is special, to me. So let's make sure we get that and put the headset back on you uh, after a year when, you know, you as a broadcast. you don't get to broadcast all year long for a couple of games. Uh, I, don't, that- I don't know if the headset will fit over the, the bubble, the, the hockey bubble that I was in for the last <laughs>
0: seven months, uh, you know, being down there. And that, that, that could be a whole other conversation. What was it like inside the bubble this year? It was yeah. definitely, a, definitely a, a different year without question, but you're right, man. I, I can't wait to get back there in the booth and, uh, you know, not only up there with you on for for the home games, but uh, you know the chance to, to people to call the games on the road. I, I think our fans would uh, like like to hear uh, uh, a familiar voice, I guess, uh, on the road. Where this year they, oh, have to listen. I know
1: it. The fans cannot wait to hear you on the road, reader. <laughs> uh, more for you than for the uh, for the opponents' broadcasters. But I guarantee you, some of those opponents' broadcasters they're not too happy with. They want to hear the dulcet tones of Alex Reed. Oh, you're you're, you're
0: way too kind. Way too kind. Anyway, <laughs> wait. Arlie, thanks again man this has been fun uh again to the fans uh thanks for tuning in our first our first uh, podcast here the ice cap podcast uh we're looking forward to bringing this to you throughout the summer for Arlie Johnson I've been Alex Fre- I've been your host Alex Reeder, today and uh, we'll see you next time Take care